Welcome to Paper Boys, the podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the latest major headlines in science. I'm your host, James. And I'm your other host, Charlie. Do you ever hear about science in the news and think, there's got to be more to this story? Well, every Thursday, James and I go to the actual research papers behind these stories, and we open up the work behind beautiful new discoveries and cut through misinformation in the media. Today's episode is about how you can image the darkest thing imaginable, a black hole. Yesterday, the Event Horizon Telescope team, a group of researchers from across the world, released the first images of two black holes located throughout the universe. I had the chance to read some of the background information on this and look into the actual techniques they used to image the black holes, so I'm excited to tell you about the real science behind these fascinating images. I have not read these papers, and I've been hyped up about this black hole picture for like weeks now, so I'm really excited to hear how they actually achieved something so monumental. So look forward to a lot of questions from my end, James, and uh, can't wait to get into it. Yeah, this is a really exciting paper, Charlie. So Charlie and I are both PhD students who read lots of papers for our own research. This podcast is our way of sharing our love for diving into the science with people who want to learn more about the discoveries that affect us all. We are the paper boys. So these pictures came out yesterday, which is actually tomorrow at the time we're recording this. So James and I are actually recording this episode before the pictures have come out. And we really wanted to just focus on the science of how they were able to take these pictures. And then at the end of the episode, we'll actually look at the pictures and talk about the specific ones that they took and how it relates to all this science that we've been discussing for the whole episode. So stay tuned to the end if you want to hear our reactions on the actual pictures or skip forward to that part. Uh, but for now, I'm just looking forward to diving into how they were able to come up with some something so impressive. Yeah, so the techniques and the actual subject matter are fascinating. I have tons of notes. I can't wait to get into this. Right before we actually get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, though, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who's listening. We really appreciate it. And if you aren't already, we'd love it if you follow us on Instagram or Twitter at paperboyspod. You can also check out our website, paperboyspodcast.com, to stay up to date on the latest episodes and content. If you are listening, we'd love to hear from you. So please reach out, send us a message. It always brings Charlie and myself a lot of joy to get messages from our fans, see where you're at. Also, we love paper recommendations. If there's anything you're curious about. So hit us up. Yeah, we heard from a researcher in Italy this past week, which is pretty exciting. So shout out to our Italian listeners. Yeah, great paper recommendation too. So keep an eye out for that one coming up in a couple of weeks. Yeah. So James, I think everyone has probably heard a lot of the headlines, but why don't you kind of give a rundown on where this black hole has been coming up in the news and why it's so important and, and kind of what the mainstream media has been saying. Absolutely. So, I mean, I was just inundated with different links about these new black hole images that were coming out. So I don't think you could really go far on the internet without finding something about it. But a few of the headlines that I saw were from fizz.org, black holes, picturing the heart of darkness. A little shout out to Joseph Conrad there. Not sure where they got that. The horror. <laughs> <laughs> um, New York Times had a great article, expected soon, first ever photo of a black hole. Have astronomers finally recorded an image of a black hole? The world will know on Wednesday. 
the world will know yesterday <laughs> yeah slightly uh slowly out of date for a thursday episode but yeah theirs is really good and they they've been covering black holes in detail like for a long time so they have some great pictures and stuff new york times has been around since before we knew about black holes which is crazy yeah it's weird to think about we actually don't really know that much about them which is why we're still trying to take a picture we should dig back and find the original New York Times article when they first discovered black holes. That would be sweet. We could do like a whole, uh, I'm going to get into it a little bit, but there's that 1919 experiment of uh, the solar eclipse where they measured the distant galaxy behind it to prove general relativity. Yeah, that was what proved Einstein's theory, right? Yeah, and gave a lot of credence to this idea of black holes. Okay, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves, but... Anyways, CNN then said... First ever photo of a black hole is expected very soon. Not super exciting headline, but uh, <laughs> got the message across. What a sensationalist headline. I know. Just lies. Lies. Yeah. So they're all covering this upcoming or past picture. So why is there so much hype about it? And who's actually trying to do this? Great question. So black holes have sort of lost a lot of their mystique. We're sort of past the golden age of black holes, if you think about that, in terms of like astronomical research. I think that was sort of, you know, mid 20th century got really big as people were discovering a lot of things. And now you hear about black holes and like it doesn't drum up too much uproar from the public. You know, people are used to hearing things about black holes. Yeah, they're in every other nature documentary or whatever. Yeah. Science documentary. But black holes still capture our imagination. You know, they're bigger than science, you could even say. Inside of a black hole, time stops. Like there's probably more media and artistic coverage of black holes than there is scientific. It's sort of this mythical, massive, yet also extremely tiny and dense phenomenon that's like scary, it's unknown, it's invisible. It's like everything and nothing all at once, you know? Yeah. And like the whole movie Interstellar is about a black, you know, it's totally all over media, you're right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like, we still don't know what would happen to someone if they got sucked into a black hole. So it's like, what more represents human fear than like the unknown thing that could it like one point stretch you and compress you and blow you up into a fireball and like time stops it's yeah. there's nothing more frightening except for spiders yeah well you know if you got to be the first person to go into a black hole it's like the classic you know would you be would you volunteer to be the first person on mars even if you know you couldn't come back would you volunteer to send yourself into a black hole just for that one instant where you get to know what it's like sure before I mean, being incinerated yeah why not I could join Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'll have to think about that for a while. I'd have plenty of time to think about my choices when time stops. That's true. So anyways, this there's this project called the Event Horizon Telescope, which is an international collaboration that was formed to continue this goal of actually capturing an image of a black hole. Okay, which is something that we have never done before, right? We've never captured an image of a black hole. We can get measurements of black holes we know they exist but generally we're just looking at things around them we're looking at their gravitational influence or in the case of this one messier 87 we see this huge column of ejected gas and light that comes out of it but we can't actually see the black hole itself okay so then how do they actually define that they've taken an image of a black hole because yeah like i've seen little animations where they have actual pictures of the area around the black hole at the center of the milky way and you can see these stars like zipping in on these very fast orbits i mean technically there's a black hole in that picture and you know where it is so how do they actually quantify like 
this is now an image of the black hole. Yeah, how do you image something that doesn't give off light? It's like the conundrum of trying to image a black hole. From what I've been reading, the problem with those previous images is that what you're really getting is a hole in what's called the accretion disk. And that's the gases that are superheated as into the center of the black hole. And so what you're seeing is kind of like seeing empty space, but you're not quite getting the silhouette of the black hole. And one reason for this is because oftentimes we haven't been able to get the resolution needed to actually make out the detail of the silhouette. They talk about how hard this is by comparing it to trying to read, it's like trying to read the text on a quarter in, that's in Los Angeles, and the Empire State Building in New York. So to, to do that, it's like, it's really hard technically. Okay, I see. So what do they physically need to see in this image in order for them to decide that it's legit? So there are a few key things that they're trying to get. They want to see the accretion disk. They see it actually bending over the black hole. It's really hard to describe, you know, over a podcast. It's hard to describe if you have a picture in front of you because there's so much going on and space-time is bending the light and stuff. But Yeah, well, that's why you got to go to paperboyspodcast.com and see the pictures. Absolutely. We also have a link to a great video if you're yeah. more of the video type. But um, Shameless plug. But Shameless plug. Anyhow, so yeah, so there's the accretion disk, which is sort of this thick disk around. Then going inwards, there's this really thin, bright line. That's what's called the photon orbit. So this is light that's orbiting that hasn't been sucked into the event horizon or the point of no return where light can't escape. And then that's basically the silhouette. And so you actually have light slightly behind it and around it. And it's this silhouette that we want to make out in high resolution. Okay, so that's what their that's what their goal is with this picture. Then is the silhouette and the accretion disk. And let me back up a little bit. So this is obviously a really hard problem, and it's super cool. Like I'm excited to see the answer. But why is it important? Like, what are the actual implications of of studying black holes and imaging them? So, like we were talking about earlier, black holes are bigger than science. Almost they have repercussions that are bigger than just physics. They're fundamental to our understanding of the universe and how different things can come together, like Einstein's theory of general relativity, as well as quantum theory. And they can give us just a lot of information about the universe overall. So studying black holes has a huge return on investment if you want to look at it like that. You study a black hole and you bring in this knowledge that works across many fields. So understandably, people all over the world are really interested in this and they've been talking about it for a long time. So this was how they actually came up with the idea for this Event Horizon Telescope, or EHT, as it's abbreviated, which is an international consortium of different researchers who came together to pool resources because that's really the only way that they can actually come up with this high-resolution image of a black hole. Okay, and do they have like some sort of actual study that they've published here, or, like a report of any kind? So they haven't put together an official report based on this image, um, as I understand it. This is sort of like the big news release. I'm sure there will have like dozens of nature and science papers that are going to come out. But since they didn't have a specific paper, I instead went to a paper from 2017 by Heino Falke, who is an astrophysicist in the Netherlands. And he's been pretty fundamental in advancing our knowledge of black holes. So at a conference in 2017, it's part of the Journal of Physics conference series, he had a paper titled Imaging Black Holes, Past, Present, and Future, 
So this was an interesting read to understand how our knowledge of imaging black holes has developed, where it's at currently, and then he looks towards the future to see how we could even do better experiments in the future. Huh, okay. That, I mean, that sounds like a perfect overview of this, right? Yeah, yeah. I think the paper was really good. Um, there's a lot of information in it and some great figures, which I'm partial to. It took me a while. I think if you're an astrophysicist, it'd be like a quick breeze of a read. It's only a couple of pages, but I learned I learned a lot. I'm just going to put it that way. Learned a lot from this. Paper. Okay. So on the small off chance that anyone listening to this has not heard of a black hole or maybe just doesn't know much about it, can you give us like a super quick little primer on kind of what black holes are and what we know about them? Yeah, absolutely. So this idea of a black hole was first conceived in the late 18th century, or at least written down in Western culture by Jean-Michel and Pierre-Simon Laplace, thought of this idea of an object whose gravitational fields are so strong that not even light could escape. But it wasn't really until the early 1900s that we actually had math to start analyzing this. 1915, Einstein came up with general theory of relativity, which basically said like gravity has an influence on light. And in 1919, Sir Frank Watson Dyson and Thur- Sir Arthur Eddington actually did an experiment that's pretty famous to prove Einstein by measuring the light from a distant star cluster, like right at the perfect moment with an eclipse in the southern hemisphere, and they could see it was bending, positioning it where you wouldn't expect for it to be. So this was huge. Yeah, I have two thoughts. One, it's crazy that in the 1700s, those two guys were proposing that you could have gravity so strong that light doesn't escape. Because, I mean, Einstein's crazy breakthrough was that gravity affects light. So how would they... I mean, that's like a pretty revolutionary, very forward-thinking theory to even suggest so much so much before that. Yeah, and I mean, think about it. Our knowledge of electromagnetism, like Maxwell hadn't come out with his equations yet. I know he, he built off a lot of work from previous folks to condense it, but like, you know, that's over 100 years before him. Yeah, I mean, they didn't even understand that light was a wave at that point. Yeah, I don't think they had determined the speed of light yet either. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. The other thing is that I, you know, I remember seeing a documentary a while back, like in high school, where it was talking about that experiment that confirmed Einstein's theory. And I guess before the experiment, Einstein published his thing and, you know, physicists were interested and they thought it was cool. But then after the experiment confirmed it, he was overnight international celebrity. Yeah. Like he instantly became a household name once the experiment confirmed his theory. Vaulted him into stardom. Yeah. I mean, that experiment is why we talk about Einstein's. Well, not that experiment, but that was the moment, you know. And uh, so I wonder if by the time this episode drops, we're all going to be talking about Shepard Dolman, who I keep seeing in all these news articles. Yeah, possibly. You know, these images are going to be in every future textbook. Imaging a black hole, like, you know, it's like Voyager's picture of Neptune and Uranus. It's like huge. Those are the pictures. Like this will be the picture of a black hole. Yeah. Yeah. Like you you'll you'll stop having it's like it's like how New Horizons flew by Pluto and now every Wikipedia page or everything that refers to Pluto they all use that one picture of Pluto instead of before every different source would have a different illustration of what it should look like and it was always something different and black holes you see the same thing it's like oh here's a simulation or here's here's an artist concept or here's a scene from Interstellar. Yeah. Here's Matthew McConaughey. Now they will all have the picture of the black hole. It's huge. I mean, yeah, it'll be just pervasive throughout human culture. Yeah, man, we're going to look like real jerks if 
they're actually not releasing a picture of a black hole tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, although from what I was reading, they already booked the National Air and Space Museum in D.C. for a party. So usually you don't do that when you're not successful. Also, I hope that anyone listening to this is still interested generally in how one theoretically would image a black hole, even if we don't get to see the picture. We there's, I mean, we could do multiple episodes about how cool black holes are. So hopefully we'll keep you entertained. I know. We got we to gotta keep our time down on this one. Yeah. Or just go into a black hole. Time will stop. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Then we'll never know the difference. So speaking of which, just to get back on track. Okay. Yes. Bring us back within the event horizon here. <laughs> so one of the key things, I won't drone on about this forever, but from Einstein's equations, as I understand it, there was actually something that didn't quite pull out from them initially. And some other scientists, upon further examination, found a singularity which if you remember from high school or like middle school algebra class, if you have one over a variable, that variable goes to zero, this thing blows up to infinity. Your eyeballs fall out, as my math teacher used to say. Yeah, and you'll be squashed into spaghetti. And you'll turn into spaghetti. <laughs> um, so they found this in a specific example of Einstein's equations. So some famous scientists, including Robert Oppenheimer, who's famous for his work on the Manhattan Project, among other things, interpreted this to mean that essentially if stars grow too massive, they'd collapse into a black hole. And these black holes would be so dense and massive that at some distance from the black hole, time would just stop, at least for an external observer. That's crazy. So if I was watching something falling into the black hole, it would just stop moving or what? Yeah, basically. That's crazy. So how are they even going to take a picture if everything around it is just frozen? Well, so the heart of the black hole is really dark. But what they're essentially trying to image is this silhouette of the black hole. And that would give us a lot of information about how light around it is being dilated and warped. So wait, what does the silhouette actually consist of then? So the silhouette, as predicted by general relativity... Is essentially this really dense mass that deforms space-time in such a way that paths taken by any particles, mass or light, just bend towards the mass. So usually to see something, it has to reflect light towards you. But in this case, it's all being absorbed, so it just looks black. Oh, I see. So anything that comes in contact with this black hole either gets sucked in or gets deflected away or something, right? Yes. Yep. Wow. Okay, that's wild. So with this huge gravitational field... You have a high acceleration, and so things start essentially going towards the speed of light. And like Einstein said, then time has to slow down. So theoretically, to a distant observer, clocks near a black hole would appear to tick more slowly than those farther away from the black hole. And this is known as gravitational time dilation. Okay, that's crazy. I mean, you, I, again, you've seen Interstellar, and you kind of have an idea of how that would work. But yeah, it's just hard to believe that it's not science fiction. And, you know, we don't really have time to get into all the different effects from this, but it has widespread impacts on the actual light that you measure that's coming around it. Different shifts, different sides of the black hole are brighter than the others if the light's coming towards you or going away from you. Whoa, really? Yeah. Wait, so the light is actually, like, orbiting the black hole in a way? Yeah, yeah, in a way. I mean, that's what you, like, that's what the photon disk is. It's light orbiting the black hole. That's crazy. Okay, so I've been looking at, I've been seeing all these pictures in the news articles I'm reading, and it only occurred to me now, because I've seen a picture, I've seen renderings of a black hole so many times, 
And, you know, you can imagine, it's hard to explain on a podcast, but you can imagine there's a dark sphere and then in front of it, there's like a band of light, you know, almost like you're looking at Saturn from the front and you can see a band that is like rings and it's light. And then over the top of it, you see this sort of like curved arc of light over the top. And so you get this weird effect of like the band in the front and then the arc over the top. And it only just occurred to me that the arc over the top is actually the light behind the black hole. Yeah. So the disk is like the disk is actually in a plane. So it's flat. But you're seeing the light bend around the black hole. So if you haven't seen this picture, one way to think about it is if you have a planet and something orbiting around it, it'll make it a flat ellipse. But then if you imagine for like a third of that ellipse, there's a huge speed bump and it bumps up and then comes back down. That's sort of what these pictures look like, except in reality, it's flat. It would be like if the other side of Saturn, if the rings, you know, bent up so that they could see over the top of Saturn and, and then you could see them. Yeah, like if you took a picture from the side of Saturn, so like you shouldn't be able to see all the rings because they hide behind the planet, but then you see them pop up over the top because the gravitational field is bending them. It's so crazy. I just can't believe, I mean, and that must be, that's such a strong effect of bending the light for something that's immediately behind it to be able to, to curve that strongly around a small object like that. I know, just talking about this is making me so excited to see these pictures. Yeah, it also makes me feel kind of queasy about like, can you imagine being in an area of, I don't know, just gravity is that strong? Actually, I guess, you know, what Einstein says is you wouldn't even be able to tell the difference, but... It's hard for me to think that you wouldn't just get torn to pieces when, like, your feet are experiencing a gravitational field that's, like, a thousand times stronger than your head. Yeah. Well, would you? Isn't that... You kind of said that there's some debate over those theories, right? The other one's not much more promising. It's... You just get scrambled and tossed into a firestorm and all the information that your body represents would cease to exist oh gosh okay and you just become hawking radiation so uh okay that's not much better but I, I guess it gives credence to this idea that like the top minds in physics and science and cosmology are still at odds for what actually happens like we don't know yeah well and like rightfully so i mean if anyone claimed to know for sure i'd be like uh, let's add a let's add a dash of salt to that but yeah but so reading this paper it's interesting to see the progress that we've made in understanding black holes and trying to visualize them you know like i think as humans we're naturally visual creatures so the black hole is hard it's hard to visualize but it's amazing from initial simulations in the 70s this paper has some great visualizations of what people first thought and what they were able to actually capture in the fundamental dynamics the author specifically calls out the prediction of what's called the, the photon orbit that I mentioned from some initial simulations and like the first computer graphic of a black hole, which has all those elements we were just talking about. It's it's super cool. It's posted on the on our website, so definitely check it out. Okay, yeah. And I'm, I'm looking at the picture now, which I suggest, yeah, everyone go to the website and check out. And it's got one side is brighter than the other, which I think is what you were describing before about how it depends on whether the light's moving towards you or away from you. Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. So but so before we go now into just an episode about how cool black holes are, let's back it up a little or even or walk it forward a little and say, how is the Event Horizon Telescope planning to actually take this picture? Great question. So one thing is it's actually an image that'll be reconstructed from radio wave measurements. One of the great analogies that I heard was if you think about a very still circular pond, 
if someone in the middle stuck their finger into the pond, you'd get these circular waves emanating out. And so if you had little tidal sensors, so what sensors that measured the height of the water at the edge of the pond, you could measure the height of the pond and you'd see them compare all the measurements between these sensors and you could recreate the fact that there's this wave emanating out from the center of the pond. Okay, so almost like you're like triangulating it or something. Yeah, the term that they're using is interferometry. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then if two people put their fingers in the pond, you'd get these constructive and deconstructive waves. So based on the sensors, sometimes at the same moment of time, one sensor would have a higher reading, the other would have a lower reading. And using some complex algorithms, based on the measurements, you can actually reconstruct what happened. So what are the radio waves that are emanating from this black hole? Like they're assuming they're measuring something from the black hole as though it's the finger dipped into the pond. Yeah, so there was some important work leading up to this that actually found what the, they call it the magical frequency band is for imaging a black hole. Wait, is that actually the scientific phrase they use? Someone, someone referred to it as that in the paper. Okay. That's not what they recall it in everyday science. So at certain frequencies, parts of the black hole are opaque. So part of this accretion disk, you can't see through. So it just obscures the view of the silhouette that we're interested in. But they found that at this frequency of 230 gigahertz, it's a wavelength of like one, it's like 1.3 millimeters. You can get a really good view of the silhouette. It becomes optically transparent. Wait, so you're saying that the black hole is emanating frequencies not just of like visible light you're talking about it's emanating just like all sorts of radio waves including those at 230 gigahertz yeah so if you're not familiar with the electromagnetic spectrum uh light is much higher frequency 230 gigahertz is what's called millimeter waves so this is actually like it's higher frequency than they use at airports but it's the same basic idea like you can image things with these really high frequency waves. So the airport scanners, those are millimeter waves. This is higher frequency, but still same idea. What happens with the black hole is you have this disk that's spiraling around into the center and it starts heating up because of friction and it has to give off energy as it's sucked in for many reasons. But as it heats up like this, these gases start to give off electromagnetic radiation. Wow, okay. And it's obviously a strong enough signal that we're able to pick it up here on Earth. Yeah, strong enough that we can pick it up here on Earth, but the levels are crazy. It's like, if you think back to the days of analog television, the analogy I saw was it's about 10 billion times less strong than a TV signal you would get. And that's using a huge antenna. Whoa, okay. So these are very sensitive. Wait, so so we, we call this a telescope, but it really sounds like these are, yeah, like an antenna. Like they're picking up radiation that is not in the visible light spectrum what is the act what does it actually consist of so because the signal is so weak what we have to do is we have to use multiple antennas all across the earth so that we turn the earth into a big telescope whoa what? you can imagine a big dish antenna like if you've ever seen james bond golden eye yeah that was at arecibo in uh puerto rico so it's like this huge dish antenna we have a bunch of those all across the world that's wild yeah so why do they need them all across the world then? Why can't they just get one really sensitive antenna and take all the measurements that way? The reason is because they need to get really high resolution. And the resolution that they're able to achieve is roughly proportional to the distance that they can get between these antennas. So the farther your antenna, the greater spatial resolution you can get. 
what they're trying to do is look at the silhouette, which like for Sagittarius A, that's one of the black holes they're trying to look at at the center of the Milky Way. It's maybe like 50 million miles across, which sounds really big, but it's really small in the grand perspective of the universe. So get these antennas as far apart as possible so we can get enough resolution so that the silhouette isn't just blurred together with the disk of dust around it. Huh, interesting. So kind of in the same way that an optical telescope needs a larger lens for better resolution. Exactly, exactly. This is almost like by putting these antennas at further and further distances, you're creating a larger effective lens to pick up that radiation. Yeah, absolutely. Like they talk about the effective aperture. Okay, so what I find really interesting here is that they're not taking a picture in the sense that I originally thought. It's not a bunch of optical telescopes that are reconstructing some image. It's a bunch of antennas that are using interferometry to reconstruct the pattern of radiation that is representative of the black hole silhouette. Is that correct? That's correct. And they have enough spatial, they're spatially distributed so that you can actually get a high level of reconstruction. Okay. Do they have a way to predict how good their reconstruction is going to be? They do through different modeling and simulation. Um, that's one of the big parts of the Event Horizon Telescope Project is advancing our ability to actually model these phenomena. So they have simulation showing that with this antenna setup, how good would the images be? There is some distortion, but they actually have a great audio analogy if you want to listen to it real quick. Oh, yeah, for sure. Might as well use our audio format here since we're talking all about pictures. Yeah. Okay, so this is an audio clip pulled from the Event Horizon Telescope website. And the analogy they give is essentially what they're trying to do is they're trying to recreate a song, you know, that's rich in different sounds. And they're trying to do it from listening to a broken piano that's missing some notes. So you could imagine if you only heard one note from a song, you'd get like some of the rhythm of it. That'd be the time of arrival of the note but it'd be hard to recreate it. So by adding different telescopes, you can start to piece together more notes. And at some point, you'll get enough information that you can actually get a good idea of the song. So here's their example. As you listen to this, try to see if you can figure out what song it is. Hopefully you know it. Okay. Just a bunch of beeping. You're getting like some rhythm. Oh, I'm starting to get it. The drum beat. Oh, I know what this is. Baby. I says baby. It sounds like Queen. Oh, is it? Is it Queen? It could be either one. They're basically the same song. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. James. I says baby. I gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. So if you go and watch the video, you can see that as the audio was becoming more and more clear, they were showing the keys that they were using. So at first it was like almost all the keys were blacked out. Like you couldn't, they weren't allowed to use any of those keys. And then as they said, no, we can get more and more of the keys. That was like the, the way that they're able to reconstruct the song. They actually talk about this too. The, the fact that the two songs sound so similar. There's some ambiguity in the reconstruction because you're only sampling part of it. You're missing key parts of information. So this is part of the algorithms that they're actually using to reconstruct the data. They have some idea of what the black hole should look like. So they can use that to axe some of the less likely possibilities that could be reconstructed from their data. Oh, so once they have a set of signals, there's actually a multitude of solutions to that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. How do they actually 
determine which solution is the image they're looking for. So there's some likelihood as to what the specific measurements could correspond to. And I think it gets into statistical analysis and reconstruction of signals based on sparse sampling. I think that's like the field of research. But there's a way that you can sort of rate the likelihood if you have some a priori knowledge of roughly what it should look like. They know that it should be somewhat round and some areas of brightness and some areas of like darker light. So if you just got this speckled thing back of like white noise, then you they would know that it's not what it should be. Okay. This sounds like a prime application for a neural net or something. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I wouldn't be surprised if they dropped one of those in there. I did not see the word neural net dropped anywhere in the papers, surprisingly. Wow. <laughs> That's how you know this is legit. They don't need any buzzwords to make it cool. Except black hole every other word. <laughs> not not disparaging neural nets. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm I'm just joking. So I have like I have like a thousand questions, James. I'll try to ask not too many, but one, how many antennas are part of this telescope? This global scale telescope? So there are eight as of 2017, and it looks like there's actually a few more joining the team. From 2018 to 2020, there's uh, one in Greenland, one in Arizona at Kitt Peak, just down the street from where I grew up. Oh, look at that, James. And another in France, in the French Alps. That'd be a pretty sweet place to go. Okay, so there's 8 to 11 of these telescopes, which are really just giant antenna dishes on the scale of you know something like we see in James Bond Goldeneye, as you pointed out. That's cra- I mean, that's a huge amount of infrastructure already. Yeah. And one of the hardest things with this is, so it's kind of twofold, you know, you're measuring these very sensitive signals and you need really good time accuracy so you can compare them and put them together. So you have like a telescope in Greenland, you have one at the South Pole, and you have to have them synchronized to what they said, like within one second over a hundred million year period. That's how accurate the clocks have to be. What? No way. So they all have these crazy atomic clocks at each of the sites that have to get synced. Oh my gosh. The data that they're collecting, over 200 terabytes. When they're talking to like one of the PIs, he's like, yeah, our bandwidth is basically a 747 airplane filled with hard drives. Oh my goodness. That is insane. Yeah. Wait, so that actually leads perfectly into my second question, which is, do they have to take their recordings at the exact same time in order for this image to work? Yeah, it's one of the big challenges. Um, oh, man, that's crazy. There's some fascinating interviews with the researchers. Because, I mean, it's like they had a site in Mexico and they were getting like tons of snow and the telescope was freezing. And it's like to get a consistent measurement from all these sites across the world, it's insane the amount of effort that's involved. And that means they all have to be on the same side of the Earth, right? So they can all face uh, the black hole at the same time. Yes, as I understand it. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, so it's like North America, South America, and Europe at the moment. And the okay. South Pole. That is really cool. So then that eliminates my third question, which was going to be, if you didn't need to take them at the, thir- at the same time, then could you just get these measurements from opposite sides of the Earth's orbit around the sun and have your aperture be the size of, you know, 300 million miles or something. But it sounds like you can't do that. Well, so that brings up an interesting point about future work. So one of the big things that they'd like to do is add a telescope in Africa. They think that that would help even further improve the resolution of images. But then what they'd really like to do 
in the future is take this away from being a telescope, launch it in space, and develop the Event Horizon Imager, because then you could use two different spacecraft orbiting the Earth to get an even bigger aperture and make even better images. Oh, yeah. And then you wouldn't have to be on the quote-unquote the same side of the Earth. You could put them out at, at a huge orbital distance and just have that have them always be able to see what they need to see. Yeah, which brings up even like more questions of how you get down 200 terabytes of data from these satellites. I mean, you could do it, but... Yeah, well... But it's awesome. Yeah. Maybe by maybe by that time it'll be trivial, but and we'll all be streaming our internet from the SpaceX constellation easily and optical communications, you know, all that, all these things that yeah are supposed to happen one day. It's cool. This is a tangent, but you see how like these scientific efforts to do these experiments drives new innovations too. Yeah, I mean, like I think that's probably always been the case, right? As engineering almost follows the science. Like, oh, shoot, we got to figure out how to do this thing. Let's develop a like those atomic clocks that you're talking about. Those don't just come out of, you know, a pure theoretical interest in being able to measure time. Those come out of a need for more accurate GPS and that kind of stuff. I mean, I saw a, a talk by a guy who won, a, won the Nobel Prize for atomic clock stuff. And it's I mean, it's wild, the stuff that they're doing. And it's all application based. You know, it's not it's not just this theory stuff. The watch. The watch was invented for the Royal Navy because they needed to keep track of time so they didn't get lost. There you go. There you go. I mean, the effort in this is so cool. Really, you should check out the Event Horizon Telescope website. There's tons of great information. The last thing I just want to say that's kind of fascinating about this, we talked about how much data they have. They actually have to physically take the hard drives and like bring them to their data science locations to then do the image reconstruction. Oh, no way. And so I think the actual data they collected to generate these images is from 2017 and they put together independent teams to reconstruct the images to make sure like they both arrived at the same conclusions and it's pretty cool wow it, it's in a momentous project that's so cool i mean that's just great science yeah and talk about like a nerve-wracking plane ride you've got that hard drive in your backpack and if you break it you're gonna have to get hundreds of people and millions of dollars worth of new measurements all to go off at the same time again. Hopefully you backed up the data. I know. Probably back it up on a 10 different hard drives. Yeah. Tattoo it to your skin if you had enough skin to put it on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Another Christopher Nolan movie, uh, Memento. Memento. Yeah. And earlier when I was talking about folding the, the rings of Saturn up, I was going to make a reference to Inception, but I didn't want to have too many Chris Nolan references in one. <laughs> but now we're up to three, so. Yeah. Maybe... Christopher Nolan lives in a black hole. Yeah, he's really on top of this. He's really got his finger on the pulse of black holes and black hole analogies. Finger on the atomic clock? Yeah, you could say that. All right, so now James and I have had a chance to see this picture. James, give me your thoughts on the image. I mean, I'm blown away. I think it is so cool. Part of me honestly thinks maybe they just ripped it off from Lord of the Rings movies. But <laughs> yeah. uh, the other part of me is like, I mean, it's amazing. It's so cool. Just like we were talking about, in case you guys forgot, Charlie and I recorded this podcast before we actually had a chance to see the picture. And so we were expecting to see this ring where part of the ring is brighter than the other part. And it's like exactly what you could have hoped. It's so cool. And to think that this is, you know, these super hot glasses that are 50 million miles across, but like super far away from us is just, it's amazing. Yeah, I had a couple thoughts. I had a couple feelings like that looking at it, like equal parts that it looked exactly how I expected it to based on what you 
described it as when we were talking about this yesterday, but also that it was something so profoundly different than what I was expecting. And like, it kind of looks like a little coffee ring on your paper, like if you spilled coffee down the side of your mug, but it's also a black hole that's, yeah, 55 million light years away. And like, you think about the stuff, the thing that you're seeing in that picture, those waves were traveling to us for 55 million years, you know? That part is insane. Yeah. I mean, I get this feeling a lot when I look at pictures of space. Like there was a great set of images from the Cassini spacecraft that were released into the public domain. So people went in and enhanced them. So they were like much more viewable. You, know, you just see dust from the planet, basically. And it's sort of similar feeling to this. It's like, you know, it's nothing extraordinary in the context of the universe. Like there are 100 billion galaxies visible from the Earth. And it's hypothesized that every single one has a black hole at its core. So it's like, these aren't rare. But that's what makes it so cool, too. It's so hard to see something that's so ubiquitous in the universe. And we did. Yeah, it kind of simultaneously makes you feel like insignificant, but also very special. This thing that's so powerful and unimaginable is so common in the universe. And we can finally see it. Like, we finally joined the club. Yeah, the veil has been lifted. Yeah. Maybe this is our next step in getting entry into the, the alien club of other civilizations in the galaxy. Uh, let's not let our little earthling egos grow too quickly. <laughs> but um, Yeah, our imaginations. But it's cool. And then, and you know, it opens up ideas of how much cooler new images would be if we get better at this imaging technique. You know, you look to the first pictures of like the Mariner space probe and stuff and they're like super grainy and we didn't really know what we were doing, but they're still exciting versus the pictures we get from Curiosity now. And so, you know, what sort of pictures of black holes are we going to get in 10 years when we get a space-based imager? Like, it's so exciting. Yeah, I mean, I feel like now that the concept is proven and now that they know that there's actually something to look at when you image a black hole, I feel like the technology is just going to skyrocket. And I, I mean, I just can't wait until we see some super crisp, high-resolution photos of something like this. And I would hope that maybe, and this was weird, actually, that they didn't release the one of Sagittarius A, which you had been bringing up during the episode. I would think that if that one's closer, maybe they're able to get a better resolution photo, but that might be totally misguided. Yeah, I'm not totally sure why that is. So M87, the one they did get an image of, is a lot bigger. It's like an order or three orders of magnitude bigger than Sagittarius A in terms of the mass. So I don't know if that played a role into it, but... Hopefully they come out with another one soon. Maybe they're just teasing us. Yeah, I got to imagine this is probably their better picture, though, if it's the one they decided to release. Yeah, with this much lead up to it. So, yeah, speaking of, I mean, there was a ton of hype about this today. Like, it seems like every single person saw this photo, which is cool. I mean, this is like one of those kind of shared planet Earth moments like when InSight landed a couple months ago or when the Falcon Heavy launched, it seems like everyone was watching and everyone kind of like got to see the same thing on the same day and sort of experienced that same little cool moment of like, eh, science is pretty cool, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like it actually felt like a big scientific community that was even broader because I think the general public was interested too. Quick side note, also, if you're listening to this today on Thursday, the day it's released, there is a Falcon Heavy launch scheduled for tonight. So keep an eye out if you're interested. Yeah, you got to check that out. Another one of these moments. Man, this is a big week for space stuff. But every week is, right? I mean, the stuff's going on whether we image it or not. That's the cool thing. That is true. And, you know, in reality, this black hole we're looking at is not from this week at all. It's from, you know, almost when the dinosaurs were around. So, <laughs> Man, 
seriously, that part's that part's crazy. I haven't quite w- wrapped my head around that. But so, did you get a chance to read any of the news articles reporting on the actual photo? I had a chance just to read a few of them. Most of them seemed to be expressing excitement, and then went into you know, how did this happen? Why is it important? A lot of the same things that the previous news articles went into. Yeah. If I take a look at the actual ones that I read, you know, the CNN one was pretty high level, just talking about how exciting it was. Truthfully, if you're interested in this and you want to learn more about black holes and the development, I would honestly check out the New York Times article. It was excellent. And they are actually pretty regular at publishing articles about new insights into black holes and they have a great interview with the principal investigator who gets into the, the nuts and bolts of how hard this task actually was. So it's, it's really cool if you want to check that out. They also have the great Earthling's Guide to Black Holes. If you want to avoid print media and go straight to a video, check out Veritasium. This channel on YouTube has a great video about what you would expect to see from the images of black holes. So check it out. Yeah, and we can link all that on our website. And, you know, this morning I was actually sort of tuning in live for when they released this photo. And I was refreshing the news pages, too, because I wanted to get a good story with it. And I noticed that they were actually releasing articles before the picture had even actually been shown. They were releasing basically right before it had been shown so that their thing would pop up as the the one to see. You know, I started reading an article that said, oh, it's been scientists released the first ever photo of a black hole, but the image is not there. And then five minutes later, you refresh the page and the image is there because they finally got access to it. That's cheap. Well, whatever. I mean, if no one, you know, they're jumping the gun by a minute. It's just funny seeing how, you know, they had to have pre-written all these articles and everything. So it'll be a while, I'm sure, before we get some really good comprehensive coverage on, uh, on today itself and maybe sort of a deeper dive into the actual science beyond just that this was a really cool event. And, you know, there's like a couple things I realized that we've talked about that I didn't really see anywhere. Like one thing is that this image is not actually visible light. No, it's radio waves. Yeah. Like how, you know, we talked about how, yeah, we talked about how it's these radio waves in the 230 gigahertz band, which is far lower frequency than anything you could see with your eyes. And, you know, it doesn't at all cheapen what this image is. But it's just, it's one of those things where I haven't seen any of these articles or anyone talking about this really mention things like that. Just like tiny little details that sort of are very interesting side notes about how this was done. Um, And so I hope that, I hope that what we talked about today was, you know, informative beyond what you could get just from sort of browsing the the cool tweets about this. Yeah. And if you are interested to learn more, um, we talked about a lot of different resources on today's episode so we'll post all of those on the website so feel free to check those out and please if you like this episode share it on social media our twitter and instagram is at paperboyspod or better yet send it to a friend or post it on your facebook or something just you know get the word out about the show and hopefully we can share this science with with as many people as possible we'd really appreciate it thanks so much for listening and please join us next week for another exciting edition of paperboys thanks for listening